Last week I spoke about light and I called us to shine in the midst of what is going on in our world. This week I want to speak about water. And water is amazing, actually. Half of our brains, no more than that, 78% of our brains are made up of water. Maybe that accounts for the way I think sometimes. But about 75% of the planet, apparently, is water. And about half the world's population lives within 60 miles of the coast. Water is everywhere. And without water, there is no life. And so today I want to say, no water, no life. And water appears to be this fluid, um, flexible kind of liquid, which it is. But it is incredibly powerful. The Grand Canyon is a result of the steady erosion of water. The soft beating, dripping of water, um, and I want to say that hard beats soft over the long term, any time, over time. And it's important for us to grasp what Jesus is saying when he uses water. Now, water in the Old Testament is sometimes used as a metaphor for chaos and disorder. But as Jesus comes onto the scene, the first miracle he does in John chapter 2 is to take water and turn it into wine. And in some senses, that's what I'm saying about the fact that God pours his water into the container of our lives. So that's really what I'm saying today. He pours his water into our lives and it becomes wine that brings joy to a world. Now, in John chapter 4, which is just slightly after the incident at Cana, the wedding, where he changed that water into wine. In John chapter 4, he's on his way with his disciples and they're passing through Samaria. And I want to read to you from verse 5. He came to a city in Samaria called Sichor, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from the journey, was sitting by the well. It was about midday. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan then said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? Because Jews had no dealings with Samaritans at that stage. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. 
but the water that I shall give him shall become to him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman says to him, give it to me. Give me this living water. I don't want to thirst. There's something about the way that Jesus addresses her that she realizes that this has now gone way beyond um, just asking for a drink. And she takes it on to a, a thing of worship and all sorts of other things that we'll look at. And, and at a point, she leaves her jar that she's come to draw water with and she rushes back to the town because what she's experienced with Jesus is saying, I am the living water to her, is that she was thirsty. She was in need of something. Now, this whole incident is quite remarkable. When the disciples returned, it said that we read there, they, they had gone into the village or into town to try and buy food for their journey. They didn't want to um, take Jesus in with them to the, to the Samaritan area. Samaritans and Jews had nothing to do with each other, essentially. And when they come back and discover that here he is in conversation with a woman and a Samaritan, they are outraged on a number of levels. For firstly, this was a woman who was an un touchable uh, Samaritan, really on the lowest rung of uh, the social strata, the dregs of society. One didn't associate with Samaritans. Secondly, he's in conversation with a woman, which is uh, uh, in public, which is taboo. In first century uh, Israel at that stage, a man did not speak to a woman in public unless it was his wife. You just didn't address women in that kind of way. So that was the second thing. The third thing is this, that she was clearly uh, known to be an adulterer because Jesus addresses her as such. And so religiously, morally, in terms of uh, racial and cultural issues of that day, this is complete no-no. And there's a further thing that actually drives this point home in that the significance is that in, in first century society, where Jesus is addressing this woman, he says, please give me a drink. He's placing himself uh, uh, under her obligation, in a sense. He's saying to her, please give me something. And when you offered a drink or received a drink, it was a, an offer of friendship. And Jesus is, is, in a sense, offering to her friendship. Now, uh, it, I haven't been able to verify this 100%, but as far as I understand it, in, in society at that stage, when you offered a drink, it was an offer of friendship for about a year. That's why meals were so significant. It was, it was as if when you invited someone in for a meal, it was uh, virtually sort of a, a, a saying, this person is my lifelong friend. But this, this offer of a drink, this um, asking for a drink of this woman is saying to her, I would like to be your friend. And she's staggered. She says, she says to him, what, what have I had to do? With, how, how is this possible? What's going on in this situation? And Jesus is, is cracking open her um, concept. She's come to the water. All she's doing is her daily work. And he says, won't you give me a drink? And in that moment, he's doing so many different things that, that shake her in terms of her understanding of society and who she is. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. She's an adulterer. And here's an offer of friendship from someone whom sh who shouldn't even be talking to her. And she said, how are you going to give me water? And he said, well, if you, if you knew who was talking to you, 
you wouldn't even ask because I can give you living water. And she says, give it to me. I don't want to thirst anymore. People around us are thirsty. And it's interesting that um, further on in the gospel, in chapter 7, Jesus says to his disciples, if any man is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And from his innermost being, rivers of living water will flow. And so I want to say to all of us who are followers of Jesus, are we able to say at this point in our lives that we have come and drunk deeply and fully of this living water, this life-giving water, this fountain of life, who is Jesus, that from our innermost beings, rivers of living water will flow. As we go further on, John writes in the Revelation in chapter 7 and chapter 21 and in chapter 22, twice he says that this water of life is freely given without cost and without any reservation. There are no holes barred. There are no uh, um, uh, quotas. Um, at the moment, there are certain things that are under uh, uh, we can't buy freely. They are not available. Jesus is saying when it comes to the real life-giving water, it's without limit. How thirsty are you? Is essentially what he's saying. If you thirst, come and drink. And so he says to this woman, if you knew who was offering you this water, this living water, you would drink. And so I say again, no water, no life. Now, last week, we looked at light, and we looked at the, the, the thing of Jesus saying, I am, but then it was the uh, counter-obligation. So let me just uh, refresh your memory and say this. Jesus says, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8. And then he says in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew reports him saying, you are the light of the world. Matthew 5 verse 14. So there's this, I am, you are, I am, you are. And Jesus says to us, I am the living water. You are the living water. I am the light of life. You are the light of life. So shine. And I'm saying to us that when we understand that we drink deeply from this living water, this Jesus, this life-giving water, that is not just for you and I to enjoy. So Jeremiah says, in chapter 2, verse 13, he says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, the fountain of living water, this welling up of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. When we fashion our own understanding of life and we, uh, we try to go our own way, it ends up being barren and we are in drought. And what Jeremiah is saying is that there's two things. One, we have forsaken the living water, and two, we've tried to dig our own wells, our own cisterns, which hasn't worked. And so, when Jesus is addressing this woman or addressing us and saying to us, he is the living water, we must be careful that we are not abandoning this fountain of living water, this life-giving water, who is Jesus. And so, when he says to her, Whoever drinks of this water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Life-giving water. Whoever is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. It's an open invitation. 
a completely uh, endless uh, invitation, no boundaries. Come and drink from the water of life, this fountain of life, this life-giving water. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Or as the message says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will brim and spill out of the depths of anyone who believes in me in this way. And what he's talking about here is the Holy Spirit. He's saying that God will place his spirit in us. He will pour out his spirit into us in a measure that is uncapped in that sense. It's a fountain. It keeps coming. It's an endless river of living water. It'll flow from you. Now, there's an inter interesting passage that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, where he's, he's talking about um, uh, containers that are made of earth. Now, in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 it says, Let the light shine out of darkness. Made, he made his shine, he, he who let the light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of God. So he's talking about God shining through us. And he's saying that God's glory, his shimmering, profound glory, um, is displayed in the face of God. But, he says, there's a big but in, in the beginning of verse 7. It says, we have this treasure, this shining, this glory of God, this light this water, we have it in earthen vessels in the old translation, in jars of clay in the more modern translations, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The life that we have, the life that we enjoy, this river of living life, this fullness of life that we have, the joy, the peace, the love, the salvation, all these things that we experience in Jesus are not from us. They are a gift. And God places it in this earthen vessel, in this jar of clay, in this piece of dirt and ground that has been made and shaped into a man, a woman. And he pours his spirit into it. And it's through this that he brings light and says to us, shine. It's through us that he comes and he says, you are essentially the conduit, the piping through which this living water flows. You know, here, here, here's a picture, maybe not a really good picture, but in the context, let's say I make you a cup of tea. I can pour that tea into fine bone china. It can be antique for all you know, with tiny little handles and wafer-thin uh, china, and you can drink from that. Or it can be a dirty great big builder's mug. Or it may be that your three-year-old has got a plastic sippy cup. Or your two-year-old is still on a bottle. It doesn't matter what the container looks like. It's tea. The tea doesn't change. It's not the container that's important. It's what's in it. 
and in a sense, we, we spend so much time on the container. The container is really just that which holds the glory of God, this shimmering light, this living water. And as we come, as we are thirsty, and as we satisfy our thirst in the presence of God, as this fountain of living water flows up into us, he says to us, and Paul, don't forget, last week we looked at this, that Paul, just before this, when he's talking about these um, jars of clay, has already said to the Corinthian church in the previous chapter, chapter, two verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 6, that he has made us competent ministers or servants of the new covenant. God creates a competency in us simply by being in us and shaping us as he goes along. We are competent ministers, not because of all our own skills and gifts. Those are gifts. Those are things that are given to us. We are competent because the Spirit of God lives in us. He is the one who makes us competent ministers of the new covenant. He is the one who has rivers of living water flowing out through us to bring life where we go. No water, no life. The container God uses to bring life is you and me in the context of wherever we happen to be. Our world is in a drought. People are thirsty. There's a crisis. There's a shortage, a water shortage, like we can't believe. People are thirsty for truth, for joy, for love, for friendship. I mean, the list goes on and on. And they don't know the spring of water. Like the Samaritan woman who comes to the well, and she's just simply going about her business. And Jesus confronts her with a request and turns her world upside down. It ends up that she goes and brings the whole village saying, this is the man who showed me. Another thing about water. If we have a deficiency, I'm talking now about our bodies. If we have a 1% deficiency of water, we are thirsty. Just 1%. If we have a 5% deficiency of water, if we get dehydrated to 5% below what we should have in our body, we have a slight fever. At 8%, our saliva glands stop functioning and our skin turns blue. That's just 8% deficiency of water. At 10%, we can't walk. By 12%, we're dead. If we lose 12% of our water, we die. And there are people in a critical condition all around us at the moment. Our neighbors, our family, our friends who are living without Jesus have nowhere to turn. They have no anchor. They have no sense of being able to chart their journey through life. People around us are thirsty. People around us are dying. And sometimes the only person who can help them is you and I. Living water is delivered in these containers, you and I. Earthen, earthen containers, um, sometimes even cracked. No water, no life. So let's drink deeply, each one of us. Let's drink deeply 
for ourselves from the water of life. And let's carry that water to our friends and family and our neighbors. And let's carry it into a world that is so thirsty for the good news.